Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, and today I'm back with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my ultra-fancy name for a podcast episode that I record by myself where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in a few years, take some notes on what I might remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day since, you know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change, or we pick up on things we didn't notice before. All that fun stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast on a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go back in depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes to give myself a little bit of a break. So if this kind of episode isn't your favorite type, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast sounds. Next episode will be another longer episode with a special guest, so please look forward to it. And now that that's out of the way, let's get on with this episode. Now, I really didn't want to start this episode off on kind of a sad note, but I legitimately couldn't really think of any other way to start it, so here goes. Earlier this month, I decided to revisit a title that I originally saw unsubtitled in Japanese many years ago, and actually still remains unlicensed in English as of this recording. I'd been wanting to rewatch this one for a while, and... Well, sadly, something happened last month that finally got me around to doing it. On April 17th, 2021, illustrator, designer, and director Osamu Kobayashi passed away from kidney cancer at the age of 57. Many fans were surprised and saddened, myself included, of course, and while Kobayashi's made a very impressive resume for himself over the years, One of the first things that came to my mind was the more obscure one-shot OVA from 1988 called Dragon's Heaven that Osamu Kobayashi did mechanical designs on for. While Dragon's Heaven is the creation of his brother, Makoto Kobayashi, as the mechanical designer, Osamu helped translate his designs for animation, which was essential in getting the look of his original artwork to look just as good in motion as it did on paper. And to be honest, that's the big thing I remember about Dragon's Heaven, the look of it. I can't really tell you much about what I remember about the plot, but the style of Dragon's Heaven is what really stuck with me all these years. Back in the day, it felt incredibly unique, even with its typical 80s anime trappings. There's robots and there's mecha. There's a post-apocalyptic future. There's a pretty lady kicking ass. You know, things that you'd expect from an anime of this time. But the style, that's what really made it worth watching. Total eye candy, which really made up for the fact that the first time I ever saw it, it was untranslated. I think I finally did see a fan sub of this short OVA a few years back when a better video quality was finally made available, but even now I have a hard time remembering any of the details about it, probably because it was so short. All I can remember is 
a woman finding an ancient mech that had some sort of human-like personality and using it to help push back against a group of bad mechs or robots or something like that. Nothing exactly groundbreaking, but I do also remember another thing that set this OVA apart from others. It had a live-action opening credit sequence. Not with people, per se, but with models that were built to look like machines from the OVA. This, I thought, was insanely cool back in the day, and definitely set it apart from a lot of other things that had been coming around at the same time. And obviously, it left a lasting impression on me, as it's one of the only things I can remember about it. So, I wanted to take this sad feeling of losing a very talented creator and try to remember some of the really cool things he helped work on. Because that's what he probably would have wanted. And with that in mind, I think it's time to revisit this cool old OVA in this month's rewatch. The first thing that fans of Dragon's Heaven will always bring up is, as I said before, the look and the feel of this OVA, and the world building. Usually, the name Mobius gets thrown around a lot. And for those of you who don't know, Mobius is the pen name of renowned French comic artist Jean Girard. Hopefully I'm saying that right. <laughs> and there's a good reason for the comparison. Mobius's signature comic style redefined the look of European comics back in the 70s. I promise this is all relevant. <laughs> Drawing dreamy fantasy and science fiction works with lots of fine lines and details, Mobius really set himself apart from any other comic artist at the time. Even if you don't recognize the name Mobius, if you've ever picked up a vintage heavy metal comic from back in the day, you've probably seen his work. And if you haven't, so many artists from all over the world around that time were heavily inspired by his work. So, of course, Makoto Kobayashi is just one of the many artists out there who fell in love with that style, and it really shows. The use of line and color in Dragon's Heaven is very unique for the time, and still is by today's standards. Bold, 
vibrant colors are used with very little to no shading or highlighting, which is a stark contrast to other OVAs coming out at the same time, and to what we generally think of when we think of older anime done with traditional cell painting. There are some paintings used for the backgrounds and key scenes that have a watercolor look to them, but the bulk of this 40-some minute OVA is all flat coloring and fine line work. Amazingly, the animators were able to replicate some of Makoto Kobayashi's very Mobius-influenced hatching lines and stippling dots, which look really great in motion. When I was younger, these details didn't really click in my mind, but now that I'm older, all I can think about is how incredibly time-consuming that must have been to the cell inkers and background painters back when this was being made. It is a very, very specific look, and if you don't do it just right, it ends up looking very messy. So the fact that they did an entire OVA with this look nailed down pretty much perfectly is no small feat. <laughs> but I might be getting a little ahead of myself. It's hard not to just ramble about the way this OVA looks because, like I've already said, simply put, it just looks very, very stylish and beautiful. But what about the story? Okay, well, I had the basics of the story right. So in the post-apocalyptic future of 3,195, a war raged between robots and humans. Cheyenne, a robot capable of independent thought, loses his human pilot in battle and goes into a self-induced thousand-year sleep mode, waiting for someone to discover him. Enter Ikuru, a young woman who stumbles upon him in the desert, causing his sensors to awaken him. The two decide to become partners and use their combined power and knowledge to fight against the Brazilian army, where Cheyenne's ancient robot rival has become a general. Honestly, telling any more might spoil the viewing experience as, well, to be honest, that's the bulk of the OVA's 40-some minute runtime right there. As I mentioned before, the opening sequence features a quote, live action sequence that's about six minutes long, featuring detailed dioramas and giant models of the robot featured in the animation. I had totally forgotten that they'd made the model articulated, kind of like a puppet, so its fingers and head move, which is really cool. While I thought some of the camera work for this sequence was a little too jerky near the end, it gave the opening a fun sort of tokusatsu vibe that gets you excited to watch the OVA. Or at least it did for me. <laughs> you rarely see this kind of thing in anime where they mix live action or filmed work with animation, let alone it mixing well with the project as a whole, so it was kind of a treat to watch again because I'd forgotten just how cool it was. It also slipped by my mind that the, quote, enemy forces that they fight in this OVA happen to be the Brazilian Empire? <laughs> that struck me as odd, as historically, Brazil and Japan have had strong relationships for each other for way longer than most other countries have. 
In fact, Brazil has had a very vibrant and thriving anime and manga community for probably longer than America has. I'll add a link in the show notes of a brief history of Brazil and Japan's friendship for those of you who might want to learn more about that fun little nugget of information, but this fact gave me pause because at first I wondered if it was supposed to be poking fun at the fact that Brazil and Japan had been on pretty good terms for quite some time. But as I was reading up on Dragon's Heaven, it seems that this too might also be a reference to another thing that Makoto Kobayashi loves, the movie Brazil by Terry Gilliam. This wouldn't surprise me at all, as it fits the time frame of being released before this OVA and has qualities that would probably appeal to him. Shout out to Sean of Zimmerit for pointing that out in his article about Dragon's Heaven, which I will also link in this episode's show notes. It was a great resource for me in researching this episode. Another thing that struck me was just how good the soundtrack for this OVA is. It's very subdued at times, but at other times it feels beautifully cinematic, especially the opening track that plays during the live-action film scenes with the opening credits. It makes sense that the soundtrack is so varied once you learn that it was pretty much a collaborative group effort between a handful of musicians, including... Takanobu Masuda, who's probably best known for his work on the Slam Dunk TV series, Keiji Katayama, best known for his composition and arrangement of the first Bubblegum Crisis OVA ending song, Mr. Dandy, and vocalist Yuiko Tsubokura, who you might recognize as the singer for Bubblegum Crisis episode 6 ending theme, Rock Me. A lot of the folks who worked on this soundtrack were involved with the band Blue, that's Blue with W at the end, which was one of the bands who worked on Shock, you guessed it, the Bubblegum Crisis soundtracks. So it's no surprise that it sounds really, really good. Dragon's Heaven's soundtrack was also the first major anime work for composer Yasunori Iwasaki, who would go on to work on the soundtracks for things like Roku Denashi Blues, Getter Robo Armageddon, and even some songs for Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z. Something I think I enjoyed more this time around than I remember initially was the friendly and comfortable way that Ikuru and Cheyenne's conversations were. They often have playful back and forths, with Ikuru often teasing Cheyenne and Cheyenne easily shrugging them off with the feeling that he knows she's just playing around. This immediately gives them a great dynamic, almost like a classic buddy comedy scenario, which is probably why it works so well, even though we don't really get to know them more than kind of just on a basic surface level. It helps that we have some great voice actors in this little OVA too. Ikuru is played by Yuko Minaguchi, who you've probably heard before as Videl and Pan in Dragon Ball Z and GT. Hotaru slash Sailor Saturn in Sailor Moon S and Sailor Stars, and Hinoto in the X-1999 feature film. The late Iyamasa Kayumi plays Cheyenne, 
who you might recognize also as Chief Shizuo in Giant Robo, McCoy in the original Area 88 OVA, and the Puppet Master in the original Ghost in the Shell film. And the late Kei Tomiya plays our antagonist, but he's way better known for his roles as Tochiro in Galaxy Express 3-9, Yang Wenli in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and Nezumi Otoko in many of the original Gegege no Kitaro anime series. I've already mentioned it earlier, but this OVA was based off of the original work of Makoto Kobayashi, and he also directed it. He was also a mechanical designer on both Zeta and Double Zeta Gundam, Venus Wars, and Birth. Toshihiki Hirano, aka Toshihiro Hirano, was the character designer, who you might know as the director and character designer of Dangayo, Aizillion, Fight, Ixer 1, and the first Megazone 2-3 OVA, along with many other classic 80s titles. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Makoto's brother Osamu Kobayashi was in charge of the mechanical design for this OVA. He would also be a mecha cleanup artist on Venus Wars along with Makoto, but eventually he would go on to becoming a director in his own right with shows like Beck, Mongolian Chop Squad, and Paradise Kiss. While both of these series are a bit newer than the titles I usually talk about on the show, I personally think they're both excellent and definitely worth your time if you've never seen either. Some key animators on this OVA include Masahiro Yamashita, who also worked on Birth, Dangayo, Double Zeta Gundam, and Project Eiko, as well as Shinya Ohira, who worked on Akira, Lensman, Double Zeta Gundam, and Megazone 2-3 Part 2. Ichiro Nakano acted as the art director, and you can also see his work as a background artist in Captain Future, Golf Force 3, and Outlanders. With all of that talent of 80s anime working on this project, there's no shortage of stereotypical 80s OVA things that you get to tick off of your 80s anime bingo cards. The main character offhandedly mentions their father being a mechanic, so they're unnatural at picking up technology. There's a bathing scene in there for really no reason at all, though it's pretty tame and inoffensive compared to others I've seen over the years. There's a cool, super-powered mecha suit just because it looks cool. <laughs> Everyone, even the robots, seems to wear giant cloaks. Again, because... Shrug, it looks cool. Honestly, that seems to be the reasoning behind 99% of everything that happens in this OVA. And you know what? That's totally fine with me, because it works. While the story and the writing isn't anything surprising or groundbreaking, it makes up for it in fun and pure style. Makoto Kobayashi made a title that was kind of a mashup of all the things he loved and a lot of his favorite inspirations, and what you get is a really beautiful love letter to sci-fi, mecha, and European comics. What more could you want? So, as if it wasn't already obvious, would I recommend Dragon's Heaven? Absolutely! 
Especially for those of you who love unique or experimental animation and animation styles, this title is one I'd recommend wholeheartedly. It's a quick, easy watch and is both fun and stunning to behold. The only downside to it being, as I mentioned before, this title was never released officially in English as of this recording, so you're gonna have to track down a fan sub. Thankfully, this isn't super hard to do, and the fact that the title actually got a DVD release in Japan back in 2013 means that the video quality of the fan subs floating around online are a bit of an improvement from the video I saw back in the 90s. Sadly, even if you wanted to import said DVD, it seems to be out of print now as it's listed as unavailable from the usual places like Amazon Japan and CD Japan. You might be able to find it via Yahoo auctions, but it'll probably cost quite a bit. I do hope that maybe someday we might get an official release of this, if only so I can finally get a translation of that commentary from some of the staff that plays at the end over some of the really neat behind-the-scenes footage of them building and filming the models for the opening sequence. So, I guess if you do watch this, and you do think it's cool, keep suggesting it to any anime companies out there that you think might be able to license it. I, for one, would love to own a copy for myself someday. If you're looking for something similar to Dragon's Heaven that has just a little bit more plot to chew on, I'd say Grey Digital Target is an OVA with slightly more plot and some cool post-apocalyptic 80s animation that might scratch that itch. Although sadly, that's one that was released here on VHS but never made it to DVD, so you'd probably have to go searching on the internet for a copy to watch somewhere. But if you're looking for a more kick-ass lady fighting in a well-designed post-apocalyptic suit of armor sort of thing, you might get more mileage out of Iria Zerum the Animation, which as of this recording is currently streaming for free on Retro Crush. And that about wraps it up on this review episode of Dragon's Heaven. Thank you for your patience on me getting this month's episode out. If you follow my personal Twitter, you might have noticed that this month was a bit stressful for me, as I had multiple emergencies happen during the time I was working on it, which kept delaying me. Also, many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Ko-fi. Like I said, this month was a bit rough for me, so those tips have really, really helped me out a lot. So a huge thank you to Mercedes Kluis, Korotama, and Sarah. I really appreciate your kindness, support, and generosity immensely. If you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well as animenostalgia.tumblr.com where you can also find other relevant links for this episode as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. 
I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was done by Carobit. You can find more about him and his music online on his Twitter at Carobit. As always, I've been your host, Don, and I will see you next time. <laughs>